Quick question, who here in the room has seen the movie Bruce Almighty? Anybody remember that movie? Yeah, it was like 2000s, Morgan Freeman, Jim Carrey, the creators of this movie were crazy. They were out of their mind. And uh, for those of you who have seen it, you're probably wondering where I'm going with this. (laughs) Uh, If you haven't seen the movie, uh, Morgan Freeman plays God. Imagine that. Morgan Freeman plays God, and then Jim Carrey plays this character called Bruce. And Bruce is a news anchor who gets laid off from his job, and he essentially starts to complain. He looks up, he's like, God, you're so mean. I know you're up there. How could this happen to me? I think his girlfriend or his wife left him as well. And it got so bad that God actually appeared to Bruce. (laughs) Imagine complaining so much that God gets tired of it and he actually comes to you to confront you about it. Of course, this is a fictional movie, but this is what was happening. And God essentially gives Bruce his powers to see if Bruce can do a better job running the world. So now we have Jim Carrey in the heart of Buffalo, New York. He's answering prayers left and right. I think there's a scene where he like splits the tomato soup like Moses in the Red Sea. And uh, he does all this crazy stuff. He answers prayers on his computer. He like... Uh, helps a kid win the lottery and the Sabres win the Stanley Cup, all because he has all these powers. He's running on water, and it's just a very humorous movie. And uh, it ends with Bruce essentially getting tired of running the world. And him and God get right. Bruce has the, the right heart again, and he learns how to pray. I think he gets his significant other back, and then he gets his job back as a news anchor. If you weren't following, or if you haven't seen the movie, Think of it this way. What is something you either currently have ownership over or have been given ownership of? Think about something you currently have ownership over or think about something that it was entrusted to you and you were overseeing maybe a class. Maybe you're a teacher and you have some students that you have ownership over. Maybe you're at work and you are the only person doing this specific job, I would say you have ownership over that role. Like last year, I served as a t-ball coach in our recreation ministry. I used the word serve because they were kindergartners who had never played baseball before. And I always have a joke. I have trouble hearing God all the time, but whenever I serve with kids, I hear him every time. And he's telling me it's not my calling. So I praise God. So if I ever want to hear God, I just hang around some kids. And then, you know, he talks to me. It's great. But at practices, I would, uh, you know, I'd work on our drills. I'd lead the devotionals. And then at games, I would strategize and fix the batting order. I had ownership and authority over these kids, over this team. And by the way, I think we lost every game in this season. So (laughs) I think that has something to do with this guy right here. The biblical theological term for what I'm talking about is kingdom. Kingdom. Kingdom talks about authority. When that word is used, there's this idea of ruling. Somebody is reigning. There is a specific order or the way things work. So when the Bible says something like the kingdom of God, the Bible's talking about God's ownership, God's authority. 
when Jesus says a kingdom cannot be divided against itself, right? When they're accusing him of being demonic, he's talking about two different forms of ownership. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. We've been in the book of Acts uh, all semester long. I've been sad not to be here with you guys, but I've heard uh, Ben has been doing a really good job in Ross a couple weeks ago, and I'm also a fan of this new vibe switch with all the lights and all these seats everywhere. I'm going to be in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 48. And the sermon title tonight is The Gospel of the Kingdom. The Gospel of the Kingdom. God's kingdom is anything God is doing. As simple as that. The kingdom of God is anything God is doing. It is where his authority is exercised. This includes everything here on earth and then joyfully for his children in heaven, where the kingdom of God is made full. I love in King of Kings how we sang uh, that Jesus revealed the kingdom coming, right? There's a kingdom that's coming, and that is our joy. That is what we anticipate. But also he came to bring the kingdom here. And this is why he prays in Matthew 6, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we get a glimpse of glory in the life of Jesus. Up to this point in Acts, um, we have to go back to the Gospels before we try to dive into our passage today. And back in the Gospels, we see Jesus primarily taught about this idea of kingdom. Did you guys know that? In our discipleship group, we just read through all four Gospels, one a week. It's a lot of reading, but we did it and it was awesome. We've had some really good discussions. But if you haven't noticed, go ahead and flip through the Gospels on your own time and see how many times you see the word kingdom. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom. Kingdom cannot be divided against itself. It appears all over the place. Jesus primarily taught about this kingdom. He wasn't just like the sacrifice waiting to happen, but he actually had some very important things to say about this idea of God's kingdom. Look at what it says in Mark 1. Now, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Matthew 4, 23, and Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom healing every disease and affliction among the people. Jesus taught about the good news of God's authority. Gospel is literally translated good news. The idea of the kingdom of God is a good thing. And this is what Jesus was trying to say in his ministry. Jesus was a turning point in God's self-revelation to the world. No longer was it laws, commandments, purity rites. It was now a ministry of words. The laws and the prophets all pointed to this one guy, and now he was here on earth in front of these people talking. And you can learn more about this kingdom by finding the truth in what he was saying. And this is why in all of his parables, he says the kingdom of God is like. Because it's up to the hearers if they want to follow this man and what he's saying. It's one thing to believe in who Jesus is. It's another thing to believe what he says. 
I bet a lot of us in this room tonight believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe he's the Messiah. If we were at the triumphal entry, we'd probably bow down to him and lay down these big leaves as he's riding in on a colt. But what would it look like if we believed what he said? He said a lot of things. There's a lot of red in some of our Bibles. Believing in Jesus is one thing. Believing in what he says is something entirely different. And this is why God just doesn't send Jesus to Adam and Eve. You guys ever thought about that? If they fell so early in history, why didn't God just make the atonement there? And we'd be much better off 2,000 years later, or 4,000 years, or however long since the Old Testament. But God had a much, much better way of restoring the world to himself. And this would involve this idea of teaching about this kingdom. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. He taught them how to live in the kingdom of God. He taught them how to live under what God was doing in the world. And ultimately will do for eternity. The book of Acts is in an odd kind of way a continuation of the incarnation. The book of Acts is a continuation of the incarnation. The incarnation didn't stop with the ascension, but actually took a more superior form. So, right, Jesus' fleshly body is up there. But before he left, right, he said, I'm sending a helper, sending the spirit to you guys. John 14, 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus said that his departure was actually better because now instead of just being in one place physically, he could be with all of his disciples everywhere at the same time. Right? He's still here. And that's what we mean when we say Jesus is in this room. That Jesus lives in you, in him or her. Because he left the earth, yes, because his time on earth was over, but he came back in a much, much better way. And we're still living in that promise. Matthew 28, 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In our text today, the Gentiles or the non-Jews would hear the gospel of the kingdom. The good news of God's authority. The good news of God's ownership over their lives. And the points from our passage today or how the Gentiles would have understood this message of the kingdom of God. So when I give us a point today, I want you to place yourself in the shoes of those Gentiles listening to Peter preach. And I'm looking forward to every minute of it with you guys tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are worthy of our worship. We gladly come before you, before your presence in this room tonight, wanting to lift your name on high. Thank you, Lord, first and foremost, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. In him and him alone do we have hope. And God, we long to hear from you. We long to hear from your word. Pray for a special anointing over this time. I pray for a softening of every heart in this room. I pray especially, Father, for those who may not know you tonight. That today would be the day of salvation. I pray, Father, for those who do know you but maybe have strayed away. And tonight is a night of coming home. 
I pray, Father, for those who may be called to ministry or thinking about a call to ministry, that they would be impacted by what you have to say and what your word has to say about their lives today. God, would you take the lead tonight? Speak to your servants, for we are listening. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. First point tonight is the kingdom of God is available for all. The kingdom of God is available for all. Look with me in Acts 10, verses 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. At this point, Peter was living in the kingdom of God. He was living under God's rule, but he had to be taught a lot to get there. Right? This is the same Peter that walked on water, saw the wind and sunk. Jesus had to pull him out of the water. This is the same Peter that denied his Lord and Savior three times. And then this is the same Peter that would preach the sermon at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit came down upon 3,000 believers. This is that Peter we're talking about. And now he's receiving, or now he's preaching to the Gentiles the good news of the kingdom of God. He is a minister of the kingdom. He's ministering the kingdom. He is living under God's rule, and he's teaching others what living under God's rule is like. And this is where he starts. God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And that was just as true then as it is true now. Peter was saying, I have some good news. Everybody is welcome into God's kingdom. That is, if you fear him and do what is right. And to do that, of course, we must follow Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It's like if I got on the megaphone of the city and I said, all you young adults out in Memphis, y'all are welcome to come to Bellevue for young adults worship. This is where we're going to meet. This is the songs we're going to sing. And this is what we're going to drink for the rest of the night. And we're going to have a good time. And y'all are welcome here if you are, are free. It's an invitation to join in on something that's going on. Right? Jesus is preaching about an invitation to the kingdom of God. Listen to what he says in Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of God, or heaven, is at hand. Just a side note, when the Bible says kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of God is also used, they're referring to the same thing. Don't let that interchange mess with your mind. They're communicating the same concept, this idea of God's rule. And Peter says, God shows no partiality, but in every nation, Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. All who repent and fear God are welcome. For you, have you ever felt disqualified from the salvation that Jesus offers? Have you felt like you've outsinned his grace? That your past is irreconcilable, unfixable, you're doomed? that maybe God has given up on you or that God wouldn't take anyone like you. But here's the truth. You can tell Jesus the worst things you've ever done. 
he'll still say, repent, come into the kingdom. The invitation is open to everybody here tonight. What's significant about the gospels reaching the Gentiles, this, this message that was originally entrusted to the Jews going to the non-Jews, is that the Jews were actually a selfish people. They had this spiritual life down and believed they were running the world. Religious leaders were manipulating the uneducated for their personal gain. They thought they could control this kingdom of theirs that's been entrusted to them. And Luke, a Gentile himself and the author of this book, as well as the author of his gospel, shows that the gospel was never meant exclusively for the Jews. And so what's going on here in Acts 10 is that this uniqueness the Jews thought they had was being torn down. It's a very big deal. And this is where we hear the words of Jesus echo. So the last will be first and the first last. The Jews thought they were superior. And actually before this passage here in Acts, there's a little interaction between a man named Peter and Cornelius. And Peter got this lesson that you see the Gentiles as impure, but this is where the gospel's about to go. And we see after this passage, later in chapter 11, all the Jews were kind of confused and frustrated because this gospel had gone to an impure people. But the kingdom of God is available for all. God's kingdom is open to you. Salvation is open to you. The good news is that we are able to bring our lives under the total lordship of Jesus. That is a good thing. And it's a good thing because the guy calling the shots up in heaven is a loving God. He's a loving king. This is a king that laid down his life for you and I. And so often, we want to be the kings of our lives. But that's not a good thing. Look what we've done. To put Jesus back on the throne where he belongs is the best thing you can do. Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. And his call to you is to repent. Turn from your ways. Make a 180 from your past. Bring in all the scraps, all the crumbs. We'll, we'll figure that out later. But come into the kingdom. Come into the kingdom. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And that's true of you if you are in God's kingdom. He looks at your mess, your mess, your mess, your mess, my mess. And he says... In my kingdom, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Our second point is this. Jesus ministers the kingdom of God. Jesus ministers the kingdom of God. This is the Gentiles listening to Peter. I'm in verses 36 to 38. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. For God was with him. Peter is talking about how the incarnation of Jesus unfolded. If you're unfamiliar with that word incarnation, it's essentially God who is spirit taking the form of flesh. 
So God wore our skin and bones and he came to us. He came down from heaven to reach us and save us. Peter's talking about how the incarnation of Jesus happened. Jesus was sent to his own people, which were the Jews and still are the Jews. And you ever wonder why God did it this way? Like, why couldn't God have raised up a Jesus or a prophet in every nation? And then at the same time, everybody had the same opportunity to repent. We wouldn't need missionaries. Uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't need evangelism trainings because, you know, God could have taken care of this himself. But that's not what he did. And the truth is, God's people had been prepared to receive the Messiah. And this is what I mean. When God chose a people, which in the Old Testament is known as Israel, right, through the forefather Abraham, laws were given to them, commandments were given to them. All the laws and the prophets were pointing to Jesus. That's why Jesus announces, I have not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill them. It was amazing how the Jews had missed him. Right? Instead, we got Pharisees who knew the law in their head, but not their heart. And they missed the Messiah. At least 99% of them did. But the good news is a couple of them recognized it and said, yeah, this guy, this guy's worth following. A couple of women boldly proclaimed, Jesus has risen from the dead. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. The idea of being in God's kingdom was not new for the Jews. And this is why Jesus never defines the kingdom of God. There's, there's no definition page here. Because the, Jew the Jews understood what it was like to serve this God, to live by his rules and his, and his statutes. The problem the Jews had with Jesus was that he was claiming to be God. A human was claiming to be God and that he, rather than God, was supposed to be followed. It was an issue of followership because Jesus was not who the Jews were expecting. And that's why so often we see in the Gospels, people ask, is this the Messiah? Is this the one? The truth is, Jesus was preparing his disciples to hear his voice for when he wouldn't be around anymore. I don't know if any of you guys have thought of it that way. Jesus was preparing his disciples for when he wouldn't be around anymore because he was going to the Father. He knew that at the beginning of his ministry. The fleshly incarnation terminated at the resurrection, but Jesus would continue his presence, his ministry, and his mission through his disciples and through those disciples that those disciples made and through the disciples that we make here in this ministry, through the disciples that you make. And guess what? If you are a disciple, Jesus is continuing his ministry, his incarnation through you. Jesus was baptized and the heavens were opened to him. The Holy Spirit descended upon him and he was anointed with power. Verse 38 there at the end says, for God was with him. That's so good. The with God life is what Acts is all about. It's about God's kingdom invading the ordinariness of life and transforming secular space into sacred space. Jesus wasn't just a human. He was a human who God was with. This with God life, this whole idea of God being with a human reach the Gentiles and the same with God idea reaches us today. God wants to do life with you. 
You know, he cares about your questions, your doubts, your romantic interests, right? Your career, your doubts, your frustrations. He, he made you. And if you're sitting here in this room, you, you woke up this morning, if you're alive here on this earth, you were created for a relationship. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to live inside you. For God was with him. This is the same with God truth that Paul expands on in his letter in Galatians. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus is still ministering today, and he wants to minister to you and through you. He wants to minister to you and through you, but you have to allow him to. He won't force it on you. He never does. In the Gospels, we see Jesus proclaim an invitation, come follow me. And there has to be a call and a follow. Discipleship's a two-way street. Jesus didn't say, hey, you, 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 you guys are following me. You guys don't have a choice. He said, you, Matthew, leave your tax collector booth and follow me. Fishermen, drop your nets, follow me. And I'm glad the scriptures record that they followed him immediately. It's the best decision they could have made. As Jesus is proclaiming this good news of the gospel, civil authorities perceive him to be a threat. And this is where we get to, and point three, that the kingdom of God is indestructible. The kingdom of God is indestructible. This is what the Gentiles are hearing. Verses 39 and 40. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. The Jews and civil authorities saw Jesus' kingdom as a threat. And there was this clash of authority and they saw putting, to death, putting him to death as the fitting way to end his ministry. But not only would Jesus endure the cross, he would be raised again on the third day. And what I find funny sometimes is when I hear people share the gospel, they stop at the death of Jesus. Or when we think about Easter, we forget it's all about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and 20. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your, your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Eternal life is not just about heaven. It begins now. Eternal life is not just about heaven. It begins now. It begins when you follow Jesus. It's one thing to believe in him. It's another thing to believe what he says. To believe what he says and to do those things is to walk in eternal life. 
That is how you practice living in the kingdom. If he says, love your neighbor as yourself, that is an eternal principle. That will happen in heaven for eternity. Why not start practicing now? It's one thing to believe in him. It's another thing to believe what he says. The death and resurrection are theologically significant. I'm not saying they're not. The atoning sacrifice was imperative. It had to happen to save us. But on a practical note, Jesus was showing his disciples in the world that you could not destroy him. And you could not destroy this kingdom Jesus was talking about. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You can know Jesus today. He's alive. You can know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. When you know Jesus, you know that he wants to do a great work in you. You know that your sin is not okay and that he wants to help you work through it. You know that he has a plan for your life. And when you know Jesus, you know him forever. You will never stop knowing him. When you know Jesus, you know him forever. It's like investing in a relationship that you know will never be broken. 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. John 8.51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying if you believe in me, you will never die physically. He's saying if you believe in me and you follow me, this life I live will never be taken away from you. And you can bring all this character that you've developed, all the fruits of the Spirit, onto the shores of eternity. You'll never see death. Not even death can take away your knowledge of him. We are also ministers of the kingdom. We are ministers of the kingdom. That's our fourth point tonight. Verses 41 to 43. Not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus didn't reappear to the entire world. In other words, you couldn't just turn on the TV and see that Jesus was making the national headlines, that he had actually risen from the dead. God had an opportunity to prove everybody wrong, to show everybody his nail-scarred hands, that salvation is found in no other name, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, convinced them that he was the savior of the world, and then just rolled the world up like a scroll and said, that's, that's my method of salvation. But he didn't do that. He has a different plan in mind, a better one. And this plan involves the gradual process of taking mediocre sinners and training them to be rulers under God's authority. Acts 1.3 
He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We're still here. The kingdom of God has made its way into Acts. What was the kingdom of God Jesus was speaking about? It's bringing your life under God's rule, under God's authority, under his ownership. No longer are you the king of your life, but Jesus is the king of your life. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the king of God's kingdom. So you bring your life under God's rule by following Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you learn just what this kingdom is like. You become a kingdom man and a kingdom woman. You learn how to exercise authority, how Jesus would do it if he were you. I was talking to uh, Tim Kaine yesterday, and he said it wouldn't be an Aussie way lesson if he didn't quote Dallas Willard. So here it is. Dallas Willard defines discipleship as leading my life as Jesus would lead it if he were I. Leading my life as Jesus would lead it if he were I. Jesus wants to retrain your and I's minds to discipline ourselves away from unholy habits and into holy habits. He wants to retrain our entire way of thinking about things. He wants to incarnate through us. The incarnation continues. Peter and the witnesses were commanded to preach to others that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets bear witness that all who believe in him receive forgiveness of sins through his name. What does it mean to receive forgiveness? It means that an authority has been exercised over your sin. An authority has come and overpowered the sin that has gripped you. That sin no longer has a hold on you, but you have freedom in the name of Jesus. For freedom, Christ has set us free but you have to walk in it. It won't be done for you. We shackle ourselves so often when we disobey God, when really following Jesus is as free as it ever gets. But again, when we're the kings of our own lives, we're not walking around with an easy yoke. We're walking around with a yoke that we were never designed to bear because we were made to be dependent on God. And Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is showing us that. Jesus didn't come to do it for us, but he came to show us how. His method of salvation is first and foremost paying the price on the cross. A brutal outcome that he endured for the love of the world. But he didn't just die, he rose again. And this climactic hinge of scriptures to show that even death cannot hold us down because he has overthrown the grave. Sin will not weigh you down because he has overcome that sin. Power has been exercised over sin in your life. Resurrection power has been exercised over sin in your life, but you have to walk in it. It would not be done for you. We have a counselor who is near. He desires to teach both you and I how to rule with God and in his kingdom. Isn't this how this whole story began? God wanted to share his dominion with Adam and Eve. Just as Jesus ministered the good news of God's kingdom as his disciples, we minister that good news to others. We are ministers of the kingdom. Your friends, your coworkers, roommates, 
that barista, the waiter or waitress, Zach in Florida, where you're going? God is accomplishing his plans all the time. And when we go on mission, we go where God already is. He's already there. You just have to walk in it. Let him work through you. Our final point tonight is that the kingdom of God unites. The kingdom of God unites. Verses 44 to 48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. The Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. This sort of Gentile Pentecost. Right, we saw the Pentecost with the 3,000 believers saved. Now is the Gentiles' turn. The Jews could not believe it because this kingdom they thought they had under control was grafting in others they thought impure, that they thought unworthy. Matthew 21, 43, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And this is just what happened. Jesus' own people had rejected him. As God's people had been blessed by God all throughout the Old Testament, the blessings would now be poured out on the rest of the world. Through his relationship with Israel, God had the salvation of the world in mind. And the fact that the kingdom of God would be given to the Gentiles is something the Jews could not get behind. And as a means of demonstrating his authority, God would pour out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. God would give kingdom power and authority to non-Jews as well. They too can walk in newness of life. The kingdom of God came upon the Gentiles. Now, real briefly, Scripture also records that the Gentiles were speaking in tongues. And this is not the time to get into that conversation. But just know that something supernatural had taken place. Something beyond the Jews' measure of control happened. This guy starts talking this way. This woman starts talking this way. The Jews could not believe what was happening because they were learning it was not their kingdom. It was God's kingdom. Peter says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And the Gentiles would be baptized in the name of Jesus and Peter was asked to hang out for a little longer. So what... What do we learn about the kingdom of God? What did the Jews and the Gentiles learn about the kingdom of God? This gospel, this good news of the kingdom of God is about unity. The gospel of the kingdom of God is about unity. Ephesians 1, 7 to 10. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The gospel is about bringing neighbors together. 
It's about reconciling broken relationships. It's about reaching those deemed not worthy of being reached. Jesus' message was that this gospel of the kingdom was available for all. And like Andrea quoted earlier, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power for what? Living in the kingdom and sharing it with others. Living in the kingdom and sharing it with others. 